Welcome to Another Day Above Ground, a show for, by, and about baby boomers. It's the podcast for people who have no idea how to download a podcast. And now, here's your host, Dale Irvin. Well, welcome back, our baby boomer buddies, and uh, welcome to the show that's made just for you, the baby boomer, Another Day Above Ground. We're glad that you joined us, and by and when I say us, of course, I'm referring to my partners on this show. First of all, welcome from a beautiful Mile High, Denver, Colorado, Carolyn Strauss. It is beautiful here. It's finally, there's a crisp... Um, Christmas in the air at 5.30 when my dog woke me up this morning. That was great. And um, and then she'll be nice and crispy in about an hour. So it's perfect. She should be ready and I can take her out and, you know, feed her. Get it? Uh-huh. I usually wait till happy hour to get crispy. But, you know, that's uh, everybody. That's their own uh, opinion. And joining us from Indiana, the Aristotle of comedy. Please welcome uh, Tim Slagle. Merry Christmas, everyone. Perfect. See, <laughs> this is why I play with these brilliant men, y'all. This is. Brilliant. I don't know if you. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Taylor Swift uh, did not show for the Vikings game in Minnesota last week, and fans were disappointed. Um, apparently, uh, she heard it was cold, and she doesn't own any clothes. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's over then. All right, I have to move on to the. Anyhow, I just I just got back from spending a week in the woods, which was very cathartic. No, uh, no television, no telephone, no internet, no Wi-Fi. Just peace and quiet, and the the leaves were turning, and and it's so peaceful watching them fall when you know. You don't have to rake these ones up. You know, it's much, much nicer to see them fall on somebody else's Is it true what they say about property. bears in the woods? Can you finally answer that? I, I you know, I've, I've never caught one in, in, in a bathroom, so I would assume that uh, the woods is, uh, is where they go. So, anyhow, we have got a very special guest for you today. This is a, uh, this is a man who has uh, for seven. I believe it was 17 years, he was the opening act for Frank Sinatra, the chairman of the board. He's been on The Tonight Show and The Late Night with David Letterman. Once again, I think it's over 6,000 times. He is with us today. He is Harvey, Illinois' favorite son. Please say hello to Tom Dreesen. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, Dale, uh, Tim, and Carol. And it was, it was uh, I toured with Frank Sinatra for 14 years in 45, 50 cities a year uh, for 14 years until his very last song, as a matter of fact. And for you trivia buffs, his last song that he ever sang on stage is The Best Is Yet To Come. And that was later on his tombstone, The Best Is Yet To Come, Francis Albert Sinatra. And I, I did David Letterman's show. I did Danny Carson's show, uh, The Tonight Show, 61 times. And, uh, and I did David over 50 times, but I hosted his show when he was ever off. And so whenever I see him, I would say, you don't look so good. You need to take some time off. <laughs> wow, and here you are with us. So you're really in a real dive <laughs> career-wise. <laughs> all downhill from here, guys. It's all downhill from here. This is the... <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think this is actually the bottom. I don't think it can go much further down. <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> hey, this is the highlight of my week, guys. Come on. 
And having Tom okay. here is the highlight of my year. So thanks, Tom, for being here. So With your name was, on his arm. I have my name is on his arm. It's true. Be a that That's for, right. I, I told you prior to the show that I dated a girl named Carolyn. She was my first love. I was 15 years old. I crazy about her. And uh, and we dated for several years. And I went in the Navy. And while I was overseas, I got a dear John from her. And she uh, met, met another guy. And she wanted you know, and she ended up marrying this guy. I came home on leave a couple of years later. She had divorced the guy. And I went out with her again. And she wrote me another dear John. <laughs> well, you should have got a clue when she wrote dear John instead of dear Tom. I mean, there's a clue that it was the wrong person for you. And I could be a really nice bookend of your life, Tom. This could be a nice little bookend story, you and me. Girl in number two on the other one. <laughs> Carolyn, the sequel. Well, Tom, <laughs> Tom, the question I have for you today is, uh, you know, we all know you as a as a top-notch comedian. And when you started out in the business, you started with Tim Reed as the first uh, uh, black and white comedy duo. And uh, as we uh, as we know, Tim Reed went on to acting to become, you know, most memorably Venus Flytrap on WKRP in Cincinnati. And I was wondering if you ever, you know, thought about taking that road into uh, into television or a sitcom or anything like that. Well, I, I studied acting in Chicago and I studied acting out here. And I, I've done a lot of film. I did Murder She Wrote in Columbo's and. I did WKRP Cincinnati um, and, uh, you know, Facts of Life and uh, I don't know how many sitcoms. And I, I've done movies, you know, Trouble with the Curve with Clint Eastwood and, and stuff. So I'm acting, but I love stand-up comedy. I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian, first, last, and always. What the, it's the joy of joys for me to go on stage and make people laugh. It's, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a dream come true. And being a stand-up comedian, if I work Vegas, you know, uh, it's showtime at eight o'clock and maybe at 10 o'clock. So around 7.30, I might wander through the casino to my dressing room, get dressed, do the show and walk off, you know, uh, and it's it. Uh, or a corporate date. Uh, you fly in, you do the show, you walk off, they hand you a check after, after you do your 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it is. When I did acting, you know, you, you, when you like Murder, She Wrote and stuff, or even WKRP, you know, you rehearse all week. Uh, you you get there the uh, to to do the scene or something like that in, in the movie in the murder she wrote and you'd get there like five o'clock in the morning and they'd shoot you at four thirty that afternoon and and, and well doing the act was always fun or acting but it was the preparation and all the other stuff it made stand up comedy just so much more joyous for me you know uh, I, I in the fourteen years I toured with Frank Sinatra I turned down more sitcoms than most comedians get offered in a lifetime. Because here I was, let me digress a little bit. If I, if I close my eyes, even now, I see a little boy with a shine box trudging through the snow, going from tavern to tavern in the neighborhood I grew up in on the south side of Chicago, <clears throat> trying to make money to help feed his brothers and sisters. There were eight kids in my family, four boys and four girls. While I was shining shoes in those bars, Frank Sinatra was on the jukebox. That was the, I heard his voice. Flash forward, I'm flying all over the world in this private jet with this incredible performer opening in front of 20,000 people, 40,000 in Hawaii, and huge arenas. At that same time, when I was a little boy, I was a caddy. I carried two bags a day, again, helping to feed my brothers and sisters. And here I was 
also playing on a tour called the Celebrity Players Tour. It was basketball, baseball, football, hockey, tennis, and show business people that were 10 handicapped or below. So it was Johnny Bench, Mike Schmidt, Mario Lemieux, Don El John Elway, Dan Marino, Michael Jordan. We had 42 Hall of Famers, <clears throat> excuse me. And in show business, it was me, Matt Lauer, Brian Gumbel, Smokey Robinson, whatever. But if you would have told me when I was that little boy shining shoes or carrying bags, one day you're going to hear that guy in the jukebox, you're going to be flying all over the world with him and, and staying in his home and appearing on the same stage with him. And also, you're going to be in an arena and competing with the greatest athletes who ever lived in your lifetime. I'd have said, that's impossible. That would be impossible. But here I was doing all that. And Christopher Morley, the author once said, success is living the life you want. And I was living the, the life I wanted. So that was a long answer to a very short question. No, but that was amazing because you know, usually when I sit back and close my eyes, I nod right off, you know, so I don't, I, I, I don't have any of those deep memories. Like maybe many people were nodding off as I was giving that long explanation. Uh, oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, I just, I, you know, it's hard for me to imagine what that must have been like hanging out with the chairman of the board, being his friend, being his opening act for all 14 years. It had to be amazing. What's your favorite Frank story? Uh, there's a, I do a 90-minute show now called The Man Who Made Sinatra Laugh. I do it in theaters all around the country. It's standard. And I saw it recently, and it's fantastic. Oh, thanks, Tim. Thank you very much. But, so, you, nice know, you, Dale. you heard a lot of stories in there. <clears throat> I, I, I mean, there, there were different stories about his benevolence that, that touched me, um, stories about Things he said to me when in private, you know, that are my favorite stories. Um, uh, a, a comeback I saw him make one night. You probably saw this um, on the internet, but one night we were in the uh, Mark Auditorium. Uh, Frank was 79 years old, and we were all wondering, when's he going to lay it down? Because he started to forget lyrics to songs once in a while. And everybody was thinking, well, I wonder when he's going to lay it down. And... Uh, you know, we were at this Mark Auditorium. It's a Quad Cities in uh, Bentoncourt, Iowa, Davenport, Iowa, Wheeling, Illinois, Mo Moline, Illinois. And uh, and uh, it, it was a great audience, it was like 20,000 people. And, and I uh, my show went real good. And Frank came on and he did three songs and he was going along real good. He got to the fourth song and he totally blanked on the lyrics. He totally blanked. And and I heard him saying, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And I went, oh, wow. And the orchestra, not knowing that he wasn't with them. They were in the orchestra that they were going on. And he was whispering into the microphone, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I start working my way stage left and the orchestra realizing that he wasn't with them start winding their instruments down one at a time to finally an eerie silence in this huge arena. And now he's whispering in the mic, sorry, I'm sorry. And I thought, oh, this is it. This is it. I'm going to say, let's go home, Mr. S. It's been a great career but it's time to go home. And it, it, it looked like he was going to walk off the stage when a guy way up on top of the arena stood up and screamed as loud as he could. That's all right, Frank. It's all right, Frank, because we love you, Frank. It's all right. And he started to applaud and he started to applaud and people around him started to applaud and pretty soon <clears throat> hundreds of people and thousands. And finally, the entire arena is applauding and cheering. And he stood there and I thought for a moment he was going to walk off. He, he turned toward me and and it looked like he had tears in his eyes. And he waited and he waited and they wouldn't stop cheering. And finally they calmed down. He went into the next song. 
come rain or come shine. I'm going to love you like nobody's loves you, come rain or come shine. And he hit every nuance, every lyric. He drilled that song. And when he finished, they gave him a standing ovation. And they cheered and cheered and cheered and cheered. And before he went to the next number, he pointed up to the crowd with that guy. He said, love you too, pal. He went on to sing for a year after that. That guy brought him out of the ashes that night. One fan brought him. It, it, it was over. To me, it would have been over that night. But that's one of my favorite memories of his ability to come back from that, you know. Uh, and, and also, uh, you know, as much as he did for fans all of his life, a fan did something for him that night. That's a great wow. story. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I've had something like that happen to me. I was on stage and I forgot a joke and I couldn't remember the punchline. And the guy in the back stood up and said, hey, you suck. You know, it's a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, if I remember that right night, uh, Dale, uh, you did deliver the punchline before he said that. <laughs> <laughs> So, Tom, you were saying that you've been on, you were on Letterman and you were on Carson. Who was different between all of the talk show hosts you were with? Who was different on stage than they were off stage? I'm always curious about that. Oh, obviously. I mean, Johnny Carson was very shy off stage. <clears throat> when you saw him off stage, he was a very shy person, very, you know, very shy in commercial break. You know, I didn't know that. Yeah, he wasn't the, the, the very shy. The comedians used to laugh about me. Dave Letterman used to joke about this, that I would, what I did, when you do your stand-up comedy and then you go over to the couch to talk to Johnny, you know, I, I was prepared with my monologue and I was prepared with the questions he was going to ask me, you know. But when we went to commercial break, I always had a question I'd ask him. I'd say, I understand that you hurt your back playing tennis a while back or that you got a new car. I had something that I would engage him with. Because uh, otherwise he'd have Fred de Cordova come and stand by him and whisper to him in between because he was uncomfortable sometimes with guests that he didn't personally know. After a while, we became pretty friendly. David Letterman, by far, after David is not that, that you know, that bullion character you see walk out and, hey, you know, hey, kids, are we having fun? He's not that person off stage. He's very shy, uh, very shy and, and uh, introverted, you know. How we became friends is, is because I'm so outgoing. You know, I, I came off stage one night at the comedy store. He had just moved uh, out to California, had that old red pickup truck that he drove out there. And it was his first night there. And he saw my set and I came off stage and he was outside. And he said, I, I like your material, Mr. Beeson, or something like that. He said, give me a compliment. <clears throat> and, I, and I said, oh, hey, what is your name, Dave? Oh, where are you from, Dave? Indianapolis. And I start taking it to him. Indianapolis, you know, I'm, I'm a big sports fan. So I said, what baseball team did you root for? You know, uh, hoping he'd say the Cubs, you know, like I'm a Cub fan. But nonetheless, I kept taking it to him. Every time I saw him, I'd say, oh, hey, Dave, how you doing? I got him playing basketball with me. I got him playing racquetball with me. When I later realized what an introverted, shy person he was, had I known that originally, I would have, I would let him, I would let him have his space. But by the time that I realized that we were friends, you know, uh, but he's he's you know very shy. He's gotten a lot better through the years. But he's he's not really that ebullient, you know, vibrant guy that walked out on stage every night. So you make friends by being pushy. That's great. I'm a, <laughs> so I, what I'm, team? So what team did he root for? Cincinnati. Oh. And, and I was hoping he'd say the Cubs, but he was a Cincinnati fan, you know, uh, growing up. 
Aren't you uh, aren't you supposed to be a Sox fan, Tom? I should I'm on the south side. I was raised on the south side of Chicago, but unbeknownst to me, when I was a little boy, my father would listen to the Cub games on the radio. I was five and six years old. So by the time I was eight years old, I was a Cub fan, right? I didn't realize I was living in enemy territory. it's the wrong socks anyway you guys it's the wrong socks anyway so don't worry about it you didn't realize that your dad had to go down into the basement and listen to the cubs broadcast on the shortwave (laughs) you know by the time i was eight years old i could take a punch you know But, you know, the owner of the Sox, is, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, is a very good friend of mine. And in fact, I'll be seeing him. I'm doing a show in a couple of weeks at, in Chicago that he'll be at. And, 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 uh, and so I and he they all tease me all the time, the Sox fans, you know, Sox fans and Cub fans hate one another. They always talk about Boston and the Yankees. There's no greater rivalry in baseball than those two. The, the, if there's a bar on the south side of Chicago and you, you wear a Cub hat in there, your life is in danger. You know, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. they hate one another. Well, actually, no, it's uh, Cubs fans don't really hate Sox fans. Sox fans definitely hate the Cubs fans. It's, uh... <laughs> if uh, if the Sox are in the World Series, the, the Cubs fans will root for them. Uh, if uh, the Cubs are in the World Series, uh, it, <laughs> rare, I know, um, it, it's uh, the Sox will root for whoever is playing against the Cubs. If the Cubs so are the Cubs. Barney's restaurant, the Sox fans uh, root against them. If the Cub fans are on an airplane, they root against them. <laughs> when the Cubs played the Indians in the World Series, all people up and down my street were flying Cubs flags. I grew up in Cleveland, so I had a big Chief Wahoo flag outside of my house. And I, I've never seen so many eggs and toilet paper in trees before. So. Well, that's because they thought it was Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> let me tell you my connection with cleveland and, and, and I, i'll tell you a true story interesting and i tell it in, sometimes in my one-man show <clears throat> when i was a kid selling newspapers i was 10 years old one morning all the horns were blowing cars were coming from everywhere in, in the suburb that i lived in harvey illinois and horns were blowing and i asked one of the elders what's going on and he said it's lubadro day tom i said lubadro they said yeah tommy lubadro grew up here in harvey he went to the high school. They took the basketball team down to the state championship three years in a row. They won the state championship. He was a great athlete, University of Illinois, basketball, baseball. He went on to play for the Cleveland Indians, and he played shortstop. And at age 24, he managed the Cleveland Indians and played, hit 368 that year or something. They won the pennant and the World Series, and he's from Harvey, Illinois. And all the horns in there, I got so excited. I sold all my newspapers. You know, my dad never had a car. My dad drank all the time, so good that he didn't have a car. <laughs> but but <laughs> all the cars were coming. And I sold all my newspapers. I went down to the corner of 155th Street, which is the Elks Club, and across the street was a post office. And there are thousands of people waiting for Lubadro to come out of the Elks Club. And he came out, and he waved at everybody, and they cheered him, and they cheered him. And, and the parade went all the way down to the high school. And, and as a little boy, I, I was walking home that day, and I was thinking, wow, somebody from Harvey, Illinois is famous. And I, I thought, wow. and like a little boy, you fantasize, you maybe one day they have a parade for me. And I'm picturing the band playing, and I'm a little boy. But August 22nd, 1992, I went back to Harvey, Illinois. And that corner where Lou Bedreau was, where I sold my newspapers, they named that street Dreesen Street. And the guy who introduced me to the crowd was Lou Bedreau. Wow. 
Oh, wow. That's cool my is that? How cool is that? I used to, by the way, when I was a kid, for a short time, I also I sold newspapers on the street corner, and my dad gave me the best tip ever. He said, make up the headlines. So you're screaming out, man shoots three with butter knife. Get the news. <laughs> Sold out every day. I want to I want to go back to your shoe shine days, Tom, because it, it's interesting to me that that, that that is such a dated story for two reasons. Um, Number one, uh, shoes don't get shined anymore. Yes, they do. Well, you can go to certain places where, where you know, uh, you know they they have the shops, but you're saying they don't. You don't see kids going from bar to bar like you did in my day. Well, well, well yeah. Well, two things. Yeah, you can't. You couldn't go bar to bar if you were a kid because they're miles apart. I mean, what a what a wonderful time you grew up in, where there was a bar to bar for you to go walk to them. That's Harvey why your dad had, didn't have a car, probably. No, Harvey had thirty six taverns. Eight of them were in my neighborhood. You know, so I would do all eight taverns. I'd try and choose all eight taverns. And I'd wait for the shifts to change out of the factory. And, and then I would go back around again. You know? And meanwhile, I would sit in a bar where my, my mother was a bartender. And, uh, and, and so, because my mom was bartending, but also my uncle behind the bar told jokes behind the bar. And it fascinated me, you know, that he, he could, with his vernacular, his vocabulary, and it's timing, he could cause the sound to come out of everybody's body in the bar and fill the room like electricity. And unite everybody, you know. And I just thought that was just the greatest thing. I would tell a lot of his jokes, many that should not be told on a Catholic school playground. <laughs> so you would, well, Tom, would oh. I'm just curious. You would, you would, you would open for Frank Sinatra. Were you the one that brought him on stage? No, uh, oh. I, unless no. There were nights when, like, on his golf tournament. I was the master of ceremonies every year for 30 years, and, and I would perform. It would be Frank and I every every night, every, maybe Frank and I and Willie Nelson. Next year would be Frank and I and Dean Martin, Frank and I and Stephen Edier, Frank and I and Natalie Cole. Every year they'd have a different artist with us. But then then I would bring them on. But in, in the huge arenas, in the 20,000-seat arenas, uh, I would finish my show, and they'd take an intermission. And oh. then come on. In the casinos in Caesar's Palace, and we, we were, I was under contract with seven different hotels with Frank, you know, uh, the Desert Inn and the Sands Hotel and the Riviera and the um, uh, Golden Nugget and uh, MGM, all, all these hotels. And, and the casinos, when I finished my show, I'd say, you've been a wonderful eyes. Thank you very much. I finished with my last show. I'd exit stage right and he'd enter stage right. So we would crisscross. He would then go out to center stage. And 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 the stop and while the band's vamping, he'd say, "Tommy Dreesen, ladies and gentlemen, Tommy, come back and take another bow." Tommy, that's my man, and you know, and I would take what they call a half bow. I'd go halfway, I'd bow to the audience and wave to him. You know, uh, so so that's the way it was done. In the big arena, sometimes he would just walk on with no introduction. It was the most exciting thing to see. It's one of the three most exciting things I've seen in, in my in my career in show business. But, it, but to, he would walk out with no introduction and the room, like electricity, they would rise to their feet and cheer and scream and cheer and cheer. You know, his fans were incredible. You know. In Chicago, we worked at Chicago Theater or any, we, we were in Chicago like seven different times. He would come out with no introduction, just walk out and the crowd would go, and he'd look around and he'd go, this is 
my kind of town Chicago is. And they would just, just smother him with, with applause and cheers. You know. Did he ever make a crack when he was passing by you on the way, uh, on your way off stage? Like, uh, boy, that milkman joke went over well. No, you know, he, he rarely would, he would discuss my material. When, if he heard me, he, what he liked about me was we would return to the cities a lot. And I kept changing my material because I was in the habit, the Tonight Show, you had to come up with a new five minutes every time you did the Tonight Show. So I was constantly writing new material. And, uh, and, uh, and, and Johnny didn't want two guys going to bar joke. He wanted original monologues, you know. So I was always coming up with new material. And also the band every night had to sit on stage and watch you perform. You know, it wasn't like, you know, uh, like in the casinos. So they knew your material. So I would try to do material for them because they were such good guys. They would applaud and laugh, even though I heard this shit so many times, you know. But sometimes I do one for them and then they'd really roar. And I tell the audience, that's one they haven't heard before, you know. But Frank, Frank would listen. He never, ever told me what material to do. He would tell me what he thought was really, that was, he liked that new material or something like that. One night, though, interesting i had like not a heckler but i had a guy who was going back and forth with me and i always learn i, I teach young comedians how to qualify that person is it a heckler or is it just a person having a lot of fun so i let them talk and i repeat what they say back through the microphone so everybody in the room knows about this conversation it can't be between him and i you know because you're leaving the audience out and also because when they hear what he's saying then they realize whether he's a good guy or a bad guy but I had a good guy that night and he was going back and forth. And something he said that about him, because I had qualified what kind of person he was, I said, no. And it got a huge laugh. Later, Frank said to me, he said, Tommy, that was funny with that guy. He said, but you don't need to swear, Tommy. You're funny without swearing. And Frank wasn't approved. But, but in those days, if you could work clean, you know, I, I opened for before Frank. Sammy Davis Jr., Smokey Robinson, Natalie Cole, Gladys Knight, the Pips, Frankie Avalon, uh, James Darren, um, uh, I say Tony Orlando and Don. I, I opened for so many artists because they knew that I wasn't going to uh, uh, embarrass their audience or, or do blue material, you know. So, and Frank was that way too. He said, off stage, you could say whatever you want to say, but on stage, you know, it's a command performance every night. You, know? you can open for us anytime you want, Tom. We'll let you. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, unfortunately, we have uh, pretty much come to the end of our time. And I'm just wondering, do you have one piece of advice for baby boomers that you'd like to pass along? You mean for new comedians or for or just? Uh, no, just for baby boomers in general. Just something that you've learned through life that you'd like to pass along to the rest of us. Well, Apparently not. What disappoints me the most, I have to think because, you know, I, I, I have a lot of deep thoughts about that. That's a whole new hour show. But what disappoints me the most when I work colleges and when I when meet young people is how little they know about American history. It hurts me deeply. I'm an ex-GI that they don't know where, you know, that these young people went back to college when when their candidate wasn't elected. And I don't care what your politics are. That's irrelevant to me. But their candidate, the person they wanted to get elected, wasn't elected. And they had safe spaces for them. So because they were so traumatized that the person they wanted to become president didn't become president. So they had safe spaces. And I want to remind them that where their great grandfathers and grandmothers were 
when they were their age, 17 and 18 years old. Their great-grandfathers were in places like Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, the Battle of the Bulls, Normandy, uh, Macon Island, places they never heard of because their professors never told them about those places. And they were holding their, their comrades, their buddies' arms and heads in their arms while they were dying and things like that. They witnessed that at 17 so that you could have this freedom to ask for a safe space. And they never asked for a safe space. You know, you, if you want to know what a safe space is, it's called the United States of America. And these men and women, the women of that era, the men of that era, if it wasn't for them, there was no doubt what Hitler had in mind for this country. There was no doubt what Tojo had in mind for this country. So that's what disappointed. If I, if I had any advice to give, I'd say, please study your American history. Study what this country is really all about. It made tremendous mistakes, but it, it, the same people also changed those situations. You know, uh, that's what I'd say. I mean, I'm, that's a long answer to another short question here. And I, I no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. History has always been one of my favorite uh, topics. I should send you a copy of one of my books, Dale Irvin Rewrites History, where I took all the favorite history lessons uh, from, you know, and, and kind of rewrote them the way I thought they should have gone. Because really nobody ever told us that, you know, Shakespeare was, a, was an excellent bowler. <laughs> Anyhow. Tom, where can people see your show and get the list of where your show's going to be and, and when? And by the way, when you do your show in Colorado, I'm there. Oh, I like that. Thank you, Trevor. And, and and just for that, I'll only make you pay for the guy that brings you. You know, uh, you can, I'll comp you, but... Thanks. <laughs> 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 hey, wait a minute. You're going to pay my Uber driver? I love that. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, I, I'll give you a cheap plug. I have a book out, that things that we were talking about here. It's called Still Standing. And the subtitle is My Journey from Streets and Saloons to the Stage and Sinatra. It's on Amazon. And I'm real proud of it because it's got like over 460 five-star reviews now. And it's, it's getting, I, I really am I'm proud of the book. Uh, it, so, but you can go to tomdreesen.com. Uh, that's my website. And you, you can find out where I'm at and where I'm doing and all that other stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's really great being with you. Uh, well, let's do this again, um, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how busy I am. That would be just another hour, you know. That would be fine because unlike you, the rest of us really don't have much to do. Hey, so... yourself, bud. <laughs> People always Tom, tell me... thank you so much. Okay, thank you welcome. so much for being with us. We would love to have you back on to talk uh, more stories. Uh, but uh, on behalf of uh, everybody here at Another Day Above Ground, thank you very much. Tom Dreesen, the pride and joy of Harvey, Illinois. Take care, y'all. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, boys and girls, you know what this means. This means it's time for our weekly game uh, where you can win a copy of Boom Again, the greatest board game ever made for baby boomers. It's a beautiful thing. We're going to ask you three questions, and then if you send us the correct three answers, we'll send you a game. And Carolyn, where would they, uh, where would they send their answers? You just send us an email to another day above ground show all one word at gmail.com and we will get your answers and when you get it right we'll send you a game and it's a it's a beautiful game very you know it's very costly and if you wanted to buy it 
We got a deal for you there, too, that we'll tell you about at the end. So, first of all, let me give you the answers to last week's questions. When we asked, what is slung over the shoulder of David in Michelangelo's famous sculpture? David, of course, is the, uh, is the defeater of Goliath. It is a huge sculpture. I saw it personally in Florence, Italy. It's gorgeous. And what was slung over his shoulder? Do you guys know? A fanny pack. <laughs> fanny pack. <laughs> I was well, maybe, that's, maybe that's a modern at, trend. I don't know. I was too busy looking at the front of David to know what was over his shoulder. Seriously? Well, and, if you look at the front of David, really, you know what was is, not I mean, slung over his shoulder. Exactly, and that big hands, big feet thing is just a you know that's that's hokum because he's marble he's got is huge cold, hands. people. Marble is cold. <laughs> Anyhow, over his shoulder he had a sling, or which he used to to kill Goliath, but also acceptable in the game. <laughs> and I never heard this before: Goliath's severed phallus. So he took a. a, a Giant Wiener and slung it over his shoulder. I, I'd never heard that one, but we would accept either of those two answers. It's Next actually, question, I looked it up. Janet I looked Dean. it up. I looked it up after after uh, the questions last week, and uh, uh, it that sling does look like a, a, a something uncircumcised, which uh, which uh, which Goliath wow. would have been. So, wow, wow. Well, there you go, kids. You learn something every every week on this show. Here's our second question that we asked last week. Jan and Dean sang about a dangerous stretch of Sunset Boulevard. Years later, Jan actually had a terrible accident in that exact spot. What was that spot called? Won't come back from Dead Man's Curve. Dead Man's Curve. Dead Man's Curve. That is right. And our third question last week was... Produced and broadcast in the 1950s, the Bob Cummings Show had another more popular name, Bob Cummings Show. What was the three-word title of that show? Either of you? I got I remember watching it. Love That Bob. Love That Bob. He played a, a photographer on that show. So. Oh, I thought he played All a right, hairdresser. Huh. No, that's... <laughs> it's not to be confused with the Bob with the that Bob. people love today. <laughs> so here's our kids. Get your pencils, get your pens, get some kind of writing instrument, because here's our three questions for this week that if you answer them correctly, you will win a prize. You'll win the prize, the copy of Boom Again. First of all, Roger Miller had a hit song about swinging London in the 60s. Ooh. What was that song? I remember that. Uh, I remember that. Roger Miller's song about swinging London in the 60s. I don't Second know who question. Roger Miller is, so I'm, I'm, two, I'm two questions behind. King of the Road? You know King oh, of the Road. I know that song. Yeah, yeah Dang That's Me. Not this song. So dang yeah. Me. Go get a rope and hang Ought me. Ought to tape a rope and hang me. That's not the song that we're looking for either. Honey, don't you weep for me. Anyhow, (laughs) here's the next question to answer. (laughs) Which happened first? Which happened first? Sir Edmund Hillary climbs on top of Mount Everest 
or Prince Rainier climbs on top of Grace Kelly. Which one of those <laughs> happened first? When Sir Edmund Hillary reached the top of Mount Everest, or Prince Rainier climbed on top of Grace Kelly, who he was married to? <laughs> and our third question. It was a college prank that became a fad and even made the pages of Life magazine in 1959. Name the activity where everybody got really close. Those are our three questions. If you know the answers, jot them down and send them to who, Carolyn? Send them to another day above ground show at gmail.com and we'll check it and get you a game if you're right. Fantastic. And, and if you want to buy a copy. But wait, there's more. If you want to buy a copy of Boom Again, you can go to boomagain.com, buy your game, and in the promo code box in the checkout, put 10ADAG, that's 10ADAG, and you will get 10% off your game, courtesy of Another Day Above Ground. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, I'd like to thank you folks for joining us today. We had a very uh, special show. We hope that you enjoyed it. But before we go, uh, first of all, I'd like to ask uh, Tim, any last words for the audience? Hey, I've got a new album out. If, uh, if you want to hear my comedy, you can now hear uh, my latest album release, Bachelorette Party by Tim Slegel. You can go to timslegel.com for more information on it. Do I need a record player? I've listened. <laughs> I don't have a record player yeah, for an Yeah, you gotta album. go get a record player. Yeah. No, it's streamable. <laughs> oh. You can get that. it. Yeah, you can get it. On, you can get it on Spotify. You can get it on uh, iTunes uh, or Apple Music. It's called now Amazon Music. Anywhere you get your tunes, just uh, type in Tim Slegel. I've, I've listened party. to half of it so. F I've listened to half of it so far. It's very, very funny. I stretch it out because I, you know, I need little doses of funny throughout the day but i highly recommend it gives i give it a, a two thumbs up hey carolyn how about uh, you any last words go to carolynstrauss.com and see who i am and what i actually do it'll be fun and then let me know <laughs> what you figure out <laughs> And parts of that are streaming, too, so don't miss that. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be on the uh, OnlyFans, though. <laughs> and I invite you to visit DaleIrvin.com, where you can sign up for the Friday Funnies for free. And every Friday in your email, I will make you laugh with the most bizarre stories in the week's news. That being said... Visit anotherdayaboveground.com. That's our official show website. You can learn about us. You can read about us. You can see every episode we've ever had. And after you do all that, enjoy the rest of your day because today is Another Day Above Ground. And that's it for Another Day Above Ground. For Dale, Tim, and Carolyn, I'm Farad Muhammad. Thanks for listening. <laughs>